Good morning, good morning. Go and look at somebody on your right or the left. Go and just tell them, say, I'm glad you made it today. Go ahead. Yeah. Hey, if, uh, if you're joining us online, we're, we're thrilled that you're here as well. Maybe this is the first time that you've ever been First Baptist Central Upstate Church. We're just glad you're here. Welcome uh, to worship today. Uh, hey, go ahead and take your Bibles. Turn in, turn on your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're starting a series today called Winning the War of Your Mind, and we'll be in Philippians 4 in just a minute. Um, before that, let me just go ahead and make you aware of one thing real quick, and that is next Saturday, so like six days from now, if you are available uh, at 2 p.m. and you're just, man, wanting to help with outreach of Upstate Church and uh, even another campus crossing over and helping uh, Upstate Church Anderson... At 2 p.m., Will, the campus pastor there, and a ton of uh, the, the uh, attendees at that campus are going to go into multiple neighborhoods and hand out invitations to a fall festival for the next day. And uh, so if you're just like looking for uh, an opportunity to serve, that would be huge. Cross campus, kind of reaching over with one church and helping reach into that uh, community, trying to get some uh, couples with children engaged. And so next Sunday, they're doing a fall festival, but Saturday at 2 p.m., you could be used in a great way. You're just meeting at the Hilton Garden Inn parking lot where they worship every Sunday morning. Uh, they don't worship in the parking lot. They worship inside. But uh, the Hilton Garden Inn uh, parking lot there in Anderson, that'd be awesome, 2 p.m. So the series we're, we're looking at just for two weeks, we're going to look at this subject of winning the war in your mind. Winning the war in your mind. And want to give full credit where credit's due uh, from a thematic and series perspective. Even some of the graphics we're using. Life Church and Craig Rochelle made those available. And we're like, man, if you can't improve, why not just use what they have as far as graphics? And so we're grateful to them. Uh, you may not know this, but the little Holy Bible app that you downloaded, uh, if it's the brown Bible, it says Holy Bible and it's brown, that's Life Church. They actually produce that for free. And have given out millions, millions of uh, those apps for, for nothing in return. Offers devotionals, all kind of stuff. Life Church is a great, is a great church. Craig Rochelle's uh, a great leader. So uh, don't mind at all using and giving him credit uh, today. Winning the war of your mind. We are in a constant state of battle. The battle that we're facing is not a political battle, no matter what the news may say or, or you may think uh, related to the culture. Our uh, problem is not immediately, our biggest problem is not immediately our national security and uh, a war that's taking place between two different nations. But our biggest problem, our biggest challenge in the battle that we're all facing every moment of every day is a spiritual battle. It's a battle with a real enemy. And I know we come into this room with various backgrounds and experiences. I'll go and say various opinions. And even in relationship to things like spiritual warfare, you may have, uh, there's a wide range of views. Let's just say it like that. And you may be in here and you're a skeptic. Let me just go and say I'm one of the most reasonable people you'll meet probably. Uh, super skeptical in the sense of um, mysticism. I don't believe that mysticism and Christianity are compatible. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't say that uh, I fault people for being super skeptical, but I would say there's an undeniable reality of spiritual warfare that's around us that even the most reasonable of people has to admit. Scripture is very clear. When the Bible says something that may seem unreasonable, we believe what the Bible says. 
And the Bible tells us very clearly that we're fighting a battle, we're fighting a war that's not of the flesh, but it's of the spirit. And so the battle we're talking about today is ultimately against an enemy that is not of this world, Satan himself. And he's declared war against you even if you don't know it. Even if you're denying it. Let's say you're completely oblivious to it. You don't care about this idea of some evil satanic war that's taking place in the world. You think you're, you're exempt from it. I promise you, you're not. Here's the problem. You're just giving credit to other people for what the devil's doing in your life. You're oftentimes maybe elevating, elevating the influence of other people and you're elevating maybe the impact of other people in your life when it's ultimately the enemy, the greatest enemy we've ever faced. And that is the father of all lies, the devil himself, who is eating your lunch, man. He is bringing it to you and you don't even know it. And so here's the bottom line of the day. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. We have an awful lot of scripture to cover from different places. And so I'm going to ask you to do three things in particular, all right? I really want you to have the Bible in your hand. I'm not even going to have all the scriptures on the screen today. You need to have your copy of God's Word. Either have it in a leather, you know, or a hardback or, or pull out your phone, or your listening device, uh, your digital device, and, and go and have the Bible open and ready because you need to see this for yourself. But I want you to lean in, I want you to listen up, and I want you to write down. Today's a good day to take notes, and here's why. Because you may have somebody in your life who's going to ask you next week, how do I fight discouragement? How do I overcome discouragement? And it'd be great to have some answers from God's Word of how they can overcome the battle in their mind that is this battle of discouragement that we all face. But then it may be that you are one who's faced it this week. Can I just be real with you? This last week was, if I'm being super transparent, in a weird way, probably one of the most discouraging weeks I've had in a while. I don't even know why. I told Amy about Thursday or Friday, I, I, I just felt like for three or four days, I had been super discouraged. Not one thing that I know of went bad. I, I, nothing went wrong. I, nobody had been ugly to me. I had, you know, I, I had no, no reason to point to why I felt discouraged. And I don't know if anybody else is going to feel this way, but this is the best way I can describe it, all right? And, and by the way, let me just preface it by saying I'm like the glass half full guy, all right? I never get sad. I'm, I'm rarely discouraged. It takes, look, the world could be falling apart. And I'd be like, it's not that bad. You know what I'm saying? I'm that guy, all right? So for me to get discouraged is a rare thing. And, and, and I, I just, I didn't, I didn't understand why. Like, what, what is going on? And, and so, so with all of that in mind, I, I, I come to you today to recognize the fact is that, that many of us in the room face those kind of experiences. Here's what I was going to say a minute ago. Uh, it, it's almost like something was sitting on my forehead. You ever this? You ever this way? I, all, it sounds so weird. You ever describe something? You're like, I know that makes no sense. I mean, that, that's kind of. It, it's like a weight was right here. It was like pushing, pushing down. All right, just a, some kind of unconscious, undefinable weight that just just made me feel like this. All right, this is not very distinguished. It made, made me feel like. Pfft. You ever feel like that? Anybody ever feel that way? I mean, you just ain't got no good reason. You just wake up and that's how I feel. It's just, I just can't, uh, how you doing today? You didn't, you didn't even say fine, 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 like you normally do. Doing good, doing good. No, I mean, this would be a day where, I don't know, you know, just not, it's not, not great. Sometimes it's undefinable. 
We don't have a good reason. There are other times, you got plenty of reason. You lost your job. Your best friend's a jerk. (laughs) Your husband or your wife just don't get it. And you're discouraged. Your kids are losing their minds. Your parents just don't understand. You know, that boy or that girl dumped you. You know, there's just, there's good reasons. There's good reasons to be discouraged sometimes. Sometimes we have no reason. Other times we have plenty of reasons. But at the end of the day, this is true of every human. We ultimately have a real enemy. And the real enemy is not the ones, not the ones that we think it is. He is bringing the battle to us. We don't have to go looking for it. We don't have to pick a fight. The battle's real. And the battle is present in your life. And so, first and foremost today, this is like awareness. For us to first acknowledge the fact that we're all in this battle. Now, we're going to look at some passages that maybe be a little different when you're thinking about spiritual warfare. If you're like a studied Christian, you're already thinking, oh, this Ephesians 6, man, we're going full armor of God, you know? That's not where we're turning. Philippians chapter 4 is kind of like the opposite approach because we're going to look at what Paul tells us we should be uh, like, and then we'll talk about why it's so difficult to be that way and how we can hopefully fulfill these expectations. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 4. Paul says to Christians at Philippi and to us 2,000 years later, rejoice in the Lord always. Would you say that word? Always? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And as we walk through Philippians 4, several verses, notice the extreme words. Paul uses a ton of extreme words. One of them is always. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. That's not what he says. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. Nope, not what he says. Rejoice in the Lord when everything's going good. That's not what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always and very much. Here's what it means. Rejoice in the Lord in every circumstance. In every circumstance, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'm going to say it again unless you missed it. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Extreme word. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. That's an extreme word. So Paul is presenting this super challenging word. Now, if you're like me, though, I grew up in a house where um, Philippians 4 was plastered on the walls, you know? Did your mom do home interior? Maybe you are the mom that did home interior. And, like, there are these pretty plaques that have engravings on them. Well, it may be like Isaiah or something like that, but one of them I know, Philippians chapter 4, maybe in verse 13, maybe in verse 19, right? Because in Philippians 4, you got all kind of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. My God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4 is a fantastic chapter, right? And right here he's telling us, Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord always in every circumstance. Again, I, I say rejoice. It is a joyful chapter. Most people say the book of Philippians, the whole theme is like joy in the Lord. And so I get that. And we read it and we're like encouraged, kind of. But also we're kind of looking back. I don't know if you're like me, but I take a step back. I'm like, rejoice in the Lord always? Always? In every circumstance? So the reason it's super challenging is we, we recognize, man, it's not possible in the flesh... In our human ability, it's not possible to rejoice in the Lord always. I mean, we kind of want to go, hey, I get it. When everything's going good, sure. Even when it's a bad day, 
Praise the Lord. You know, my dad used to, I know I've told you before, my dad was a, a contractor. He built houses. And so I helped him an awful lot in construction. And, uh, and so, but he would be hammering and, and inevitably once a week he'd hit his thumb. You know, I don't know why it's always the thumb. But you hit the thumb when you're nailing, a, uh, you're hammering a nail and you miss. And every time he'd hit his thumb, a lot of your dads probably said, beep, 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 beep. My dad always, without exception, every time. Praise the Lord. You may say, your dad had lost his mind, right? Why did he do that? He, he literally took Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, right? In every circumstance, even when you hit your thumb, praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, most of you are like, that is not what comes to my mind first off, right? A lot of other things come to our minds. But here, here's the truth. It is very difficult to rejoice when things go badly, when when circumstances aren't ideal. It's not easy. And so with that as our human understanding, we get it. In our flesh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about flesh, in just your own human ability, you can't do this. I cannot do this. It requires grace. It requires God's grace. There's just no exception to that. We know Jesus even said, my grace is sufficient. And so in... in Every area of life, salvation, obviously, we're, we're saved by grace. But even beyond salvation, when we're living for Jesus, you can't live for Jesus without grace. I can't do it. I can't do it effectively. I can't rejoice in the Lord in every circumstance unless I'm depending on God's power and I'm looking through a lens. I'll call it the God lens. I'm looking through my, through, at my circumstances through this God lens, and it's because I'm thinking the way God wants me to think. And so it's strength and it's thinking that ultimately are in some ways our weapons for this battle. And if we're trying to win the war in our own ability, we'll fail every time. We'll never rejoice when circumstances are bad. So in our own power and in our own natural way of thinking, we will never have the capacity to rejoice in every circumstance. But this is true in every case for Christians. We know God's grace is enough. So we must take our burdens, take your struggles, take your confusions, take your anxieties, take every problem you have to the Lord. Give them all to God. And that's really the first and main point for the day. Here it is. We must give God our minds. We've got to give God our minds. And, and if there's any hope of us being able to rejoice in the Lord always, and again, we say rejoice, in all these circumstances, we're going to live a life that God would be pleased with. I'm going to start looking at things the way God would have me to look at them. We're going to have to have God's power. We're going to, by his grace, be able to look through his lens and and by the renewing of our minds, see things the way God wants us to see them. And that leads us to Romans chapter 12. Now, don't lose Philippians 4. We're in Philippians 4 for a while. And then we're also going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 10. I told you we're going to be answering. Did, did I tell you? Be ready to write down, all right? We need to take notes so we're able and prepared to help other people who struggle with discouragement. But here's what we see. Listen, Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, remember the extreme words? In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, requests be made known to God. So 
we're giving it to God, but then when we talk about giving it to God, how do we give our minds to God? Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't give yourselves over to the world. Don't give yourselves over to the flesh. Don't give yourselves over to the natural way of man. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So this renewal of the mind is a big deal. This is not a secret. I mean, God's, through the power of his Holy Spirit, inspired us. We understand this is not a secret. He's trying to give us the answers. But without renewal of our minds, we can't possibly see things the way God wants us to see them. Here's the evidence of it. Let's read on. It says, be transformed by the renewal of your minds that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. What is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. You may say, well, what's all that have to do with rejoicing and not being discouraged? I would say everything. There's no way that we can understand the will of God unless our mind has been renewed. This is what the scripture is saying. Be transformed by the renewal of our minds that you may know what the will of God is. So... We can't know what the will of God is unless our mind has been renewed or is being renewed. Because it's not just about being saved, it's also about being sanctified. This is a process. Last week we talked about daily dying, that we are crucified with Christ. No longer we who live, but him who lives in us. And so part of that dying to ourselves daily is surrendering ourselves, putting ourselves on a shelf. But even more practically than that, every day it's like, God, would you give me your mind? God, would you renew my mind? Would you, would you saturate my heart and my mind with things that would be pleasing to you? Help me think like you. Help me talk like you. Help me respond to those mean people <laughs> the way that you would respond. If you don't think that's funny, you must be the mean people. Amen? Yeah, because we all know them, right? And we all face those kinds of things. How can we possibly be Jesus in difficult circumstance, only by the renewal of our minds. Only by being Jesus to them. And so we'll only know the will of God by the renewal of our minds, but he goes on further. Notice what else he says. He said it's the only way we're going to ultimately know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We waste an awful lot of time trying to convince lost people to agree with us on our definition of what is good and acceptable. I hope you get this. This is, this is so important. We get so frustrated. We get so discouraged in this culture, in this world, where everybody actually now is popular to discriminate against people of Christian faith. Like, it's a popular thing now. I mean, like, you're shamed for being a Christian. And now you're, and if you didn't know all this before, I'm sorry, I'm discouraging you, but it's very true, all right? Now you're actually going to be shamed and considered immoral for holding to Christian morality. This absolute fact around in our culture. Now, I know we live in South Carolina, maybe somewhat of a, a little bubble in our nation, but, but it's totally true. It's totally true that you will be pressured to redefine what is good. You'll be pressured to redefine what is acceptable and what is perfect. What's that mean? What is righteous? What is holy? So the pressure that's coming from outside should not be a surprise to us. You know why? Because they, unbelievers do not have a renewed mind. They are not looking through the God lens that we're talking about. They do not see the things that we see as Christians. And so it's odd that we somehow believe that our political party can solve everything and fix the world. It's impossible. 
It's crazy. It's, it's, it's honestly, for lack of a better term, it's ignorant for us to think that we can fix the morality of our world with, with fleshly and worldly things. It's impossible. So there's no way. That doesn't mean don't be involved in I went and voted this week, all right? Be engaged. Be involved in politics. Absolutely. But stop depending on politics to fix the problems in this world. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Because legitimately, the majority of the people who go vote do not have a renewed mind. And they're not looking through a lens of God, God's ways. And so here's the, you're, you're wasting your time if you're trying to convert people to your morality. Why don't you introduce them to Jesus? See, that, that is the call of the church. And the reason America is falling apart. There's many reasons, but this is a major reason. The church has lost sight of the mission of God and we've taken on some culture warrior mentality that is more intentional about converting people to a morality than a savior. Why don't we introduce them to Jesus? See, this, I'm getting off track, but this is so important. And, and we can't convert them and have, we can't renew their mind. Only Jesus can do that. And so there's, there's a good reason why they do not agree with us in our definition of good. They do not agree with us in our definition of acceptable. You ever been standing in line at the grocery store or whatever, you read this headline or you hear something on the news and that's just unacceptable. I can't believe it, you know. We've all got our opinions and, and there are some things that are unfathomable. How, how could people be so crazy to think that's okay, to think that's acceptable? There are people, even in their protest of your morality, who would, in front of a place of worship, strip nude and protest in the most gruesome of ways. And they would think that is in defense of what is right, good, and acceptable. Look, if you didn't know it before you got in, our world is so messed up, man. You're not going to argue somebody into agreeing with your definition of good. We have to introduce them to Jesus. He's the only answer. And so we, we must give God our minds and stop trying to convince people to agree with us, but pray that they will too give their minds to God. But then secondly, when we give our minds to God, here's what happens. God gives us his peace. So this equation is, I know over elementary, and you're going to sit here and go, this is too simple. I'm going to give you some application points in a minute that I think are simple take-homes that will help you. But I do think that without going into greater depth, this is totally true. When we give God our minds, he will give us his peace. So this happens at salvation. We give him our hearts. We, by, by literally our decision, repent of our sin. We turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. No matter what your belief about salvation, that's the gospel. That's the Bible. We turn, we make a conscious decision to turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus in repentance. If you've never done that, you're not a Christian. That's basic Christianity. But when we turn to Jesus, he does transform us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I love that. It's my life verse. I believe 100%. Changed me. Transformed me. 
But it's not just about that one event. We also daily renew. We ask God, renew our mind. And what happens is when we wake up on day 365 or, or 30,000 of being a Christian, we come to Christ and again we say, Lord, I give you my heart and my mind today. It doesn't mean we're lost and we don't have eternal security, but it does mean, Lord, I know that I'm not exempt from the, the whispers of the enemy. I'm not exempt from the temptation of the devil. I'm not exempt from allowing the junk outside these walls to get inside of my heart, to permeate inside my spirit, to, to flood my mind so that I'm filled with things that are not pleasing to you. So God, would you this day, this morning, help me think right and believe right. That's a daily dying and surrendering to the heart of God. And so God gives us his peace as we give him our minds. Look at verse 7 of Philippians 4. It says in verse 7, Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So after we have done all of these things, we've cast our cares on him, we've, we've given him everything, we have let him carry the burden, that's when his peace overwhelms us. In a real sense, practically speaking, what happens is the waves of discouragement. That's how I'd kind of say, oftentimes the, the, the discouragement we feel, I'll go and use the word depression that some people in this room feel. It, it's, it comes in waves, and the waves of discouragement that overwhelm us, what the peace of God does when we surrender to him, it doesn't take away the problems, guys. I wish I, wish I could say, you pray to God and he'll just take all your troubles away. That's not the way. We live in a sinful world that's fallen. Bad things are around us. But here's what it does. The peace of God is so crazy. It guards us. So it's almost like it <laughs> creates a spiritual submarine or something, you know? He truly does guard our hearts. It's like a shield of faith that, that fights off these waves of discouragement. In a real sense, it's like the peace of God lifts us on top of the waves and allows us, it doesn't mean they're gone, but instead of being overwhelmed by them, we walk on the waves that are around us. And so with those simple illustrations, we, we understand, look, the peace of God, we don't usually think of the peace of God as guarding us. Usually when I've read this, even at funerals and stuff, I think of the peace of God being beyond our comprehension. That is a very good point that we need to remember. The peace of God is unthinkable. It allows us to be stable when everything's falling apart, to have strength when we should be weak. The peace of God actually gives us confidence when we should be afraid. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's beyond our imagination. But what I want you to focus on that maybe you don't think about an awful lot is found in verse 7 of Philippians 4. It says that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to pitch to you this biblical concept that is absolutely undeniable based on the scriptures we've already read. That oftentimes when we are getting hit by the overwhelming waves of discouragement, it's simply because we have not continually, by the work of sanctification, renewed our minds in Christ. Because when we renew our minds, He will guard our hearts and our minds with his peace. So with that, that seems like a really simple answer, but I'm going to give you five application points, and I promise you they're, they're going to be fast. So lean in, listen up, 
and write down. Okay, here we go. Five application points about really next steps, things we should know simply. Here's the first one. Identify the true enemy. We've got to identify the true enemy. We have to know the enemy's not your spouse. The enemy's not your neighbor. The enemy's not your coworker. The enemy's not that person at school. The enemy's not your friend that's angry with you. The enemy's not the other political party. The enemy is not a politician. The enemy is the devil himself. So identify the enemy. Number two, I'm sorry, let me read the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 2 Timothy 10, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. But then verse 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, For the weapons of warfare are not the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So we don't just identify the enemy, not of flesh, but uh, of spirit, but also we recognize the battle is not of this world. The battle is not of the flesh. And I think oftentimes we're guilty of taking a knife to a gunfight, right? We, we think this is a fight that just requires us to be tough. The fight of the devil, fighting against the devil and temptations and, and even temptations to be discouraged, we oftentimes just think, I've just got to get tougher spiritually. That's just not true. The truth of the matter is, this is not a physical, fleshly battle. And no armor, physical strength or armor is going to protect. You've got to recognize the battle's not of this world. Third, we've got to take possession of our thoughts. Now, the, the next ones, I mean, some of us are not going to like this, but it's so important. Listen, don't allow the devil to, to feed your mind with junk. Take possession of your thoughts. Read on in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive. Why? To obey Christ. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. What does that mean? That means we, we have to own it, man. We've got to to back up and take ownership of our minds and stop allowing the devil to reign inside of our thoughts. Now, you may say, I'm unconscious about that. I don't understand what you're talking about. And quite simply, I'm going to give you one illustration, but honestly, we could do this 10 different ways. But I'm going to give you one that I think is super prevalent in our culture. Everybody's a victim in our culture, all right? And I wish that was only true of unbelievers, but the reason it's true of us as well is because if we don't continually renew our minds and depend on the Spirit to fill us, then we start acting like we don't know what we're talking about either. And so when we're, we have a victim mentality, we start listening to the lies of the devil. By the way, when, when you give the devil one inch, he will take a mile. When you crack the door, he will bust it wide open. So all it takes is for you to say, well, I didn't, nobody likes me. When I was a kid, we used to say that, I don't know if it's a song or a chant or what, but nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. You ever heard that? Yeah. I don't know why worms were what we will go eat. That seems kind of dumb. But I think spiritually speaking, that's what we do. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll just go do something that doesn't make sense, you know. It's a pity party. Just going to go, feel sorry for myself. Here's what's crazy. Let me just... It's just not true. And see, the devil has convinced you. And this is one little thing of 20 we can talk about. The devil's convinced you nobody likes you. He convinced you nobody, nobody, everybody hates you. And here's what happens in our minds, in our flesh, when we hear the whispers of the devil, 
We form an opinion. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Then what we do is we actually, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. We want to be right about the fact that nobody likes us. And so what do we do? Well, we don't like anybody either. <laughs> yeah, we don't give any reason for anybody to like us. I mean, we make it really hard for people to like us, right? Why? Because nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. And so, I mean, literally, a, a, a grandparent can feel like my kids just don't appreciate me. My grandkids don't love me. And they could call three days in a row and say, would you come over for dinner? No, I just don't have time. I'm just not feeling good. And then they'll hang up. Well, they don't love me. What? I mean, look, I know spouses are already thinking. Have you ever been in a conversation and it's just like literally it seems like they're talking, they hear the opposite of what you say? I mean, you know, and I'm not talking about wives. Husbands too, women. Husbands too, right? We just don't, we just don't understand. Some, why? Because we've convinced ourselves that we're the victim and that everybody's against us. And then we start fulfilling the prophecy. We start making it true. And this is what happens in our spiritual walk. We've got to take captive the thoughts in our minds and stop believing the lies of the devil. The Word of God says he is a liar. He is the father of all lies. And so we've got to take captive the thoughts that the enemy is bringing against us. Now here's some things I want you to hear. Lean in real quickly, Philippians chapter 4 again and verse 8 because this is passage we have heard. There's no doubt if you've been to church 20 times, you probably heard this passage for Philippians chapter 4. But we maybe need to hear it in this context. Listen, when we're discouraged, what should we do? Change the content of your thinking. Change the content of your thinking. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I want to encourage you to do something. Next time you're discouraged, it may be today. And maybe this was for you, and God's just like speaking to you. I just, listen, Philippians 4, 8. When you've heard the whispers of the devil, you're believing the lie, you're, you're fulfilling the prophecy. Ask yourself the question, what is true? That may seem like, oh, Wayne, that's not going to help. I'm telling you, it will. Because there's so many times, man, you believe the lie that, that you're worthless. You believe the lie that everybody's turned against you and nobody loves you, nobody cares about you. You believe the lie that everybody thinks that you're dumb. You believe the lie that you're not valuable to God. And so when you've heard the whispers and when you've actually fulfilled the prophecy... Come back to reality and ask yourself, what is true? Now, this is really important. Crossroads here. Not what do you think is true. Not what do you assume is true. Not what do you suspect is true. But what do you know to be factual? What do you know is true? If you will, if you will stop believing the lies of the enemy... If you will stop, forgive me, if you will stop being a victim, it will be unreal what, what God will do in your heart and your life to just believe the truth. What is true? You're a son and a daughter of God. What is true? I am valuable. What is true? Jesus was willing to be nailed to a brutal cross for me. 
oh, but I'm just so, I'm just so lonely. He will never leave you or forsake you. What is true? Whatever is true. But then the last part of that verse too, I want you to notice this. He says anything, if there's anything worthy of praise. It's like Paul was going through a list, right? He was like, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's pure, what is lovely, commendable. He was just thinking, okay, what's another word? What's another word? What's another word? You know, and, and if you could think of anything good, <laughs> if you think of anything worthy of praise, you, you want one? You're breathing. God has given you a gift of life. And there are hundreds of thousands of people who seven, in the last seven days, do not have that gift anymore. And I know you've heard this many ways in many different ways, but here's, here's the fact. We get so focused on our victim mentality and our lot and our situation, our circumstance, that we forget how blessed we are and how good God is. So let me just... Do you have anything worthy of praise? Do you, do you have kids that you love? Do you have parents that still care for you and provide for you? Do you have a friend? Do you have a Lord and a Savior that loves you? Do you have eternal life with Him? If you have anything worthy of praise, when those waves of discouragement come, think on those Things. Take your thoughts captive and change the content of your thinking. Fifth and final, reset your mind on God stuff. Reset your mind on God stuff. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, he says. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and, this last word, peace peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Man, let's give our minds to Jesus and he will give us his peace. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. Today, I know it's such a, a needed word. We're surrounded by discouragement. We're surrounded by hopelessness and pain and struggle. But God, we know that you're good. So God, would you speak peace to us? God, would you saturate our hearts and our minds with your peace today? Would you overwhelm the darkness with light? God, would you chase away the lies of the devil with the truth of your word in this room, God? Lord, I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that that may be one, it may be 10, it may be hundreds, God, today, who need to, to hear from you, God, I pray you would speak peace to their hearts right now. We're open. We're listening. God, would you speak? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?